Sarnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25, cuts it inside. Perfect. 35, 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50, to the 40, to the 30, to the 20, to the 15, 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer, but they're not going to. Nicks is back. Throws it down. Field. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Red Cup Auburn podcast. And you know, it's been a little while since we've since we've shot an episode, and that's mainly just because it's been so crazy. We haven't really been able to have like a a little amount of time where it's like we know that this is happening. You know, there were rumors circulating about the adding the different teams to the schedule. Then we found out who we were adding to the schedule, and then I think it was two days later, all this things came out about if we were going to have a season or not. You got conferences canceling left and right. You got other conferences saying that we're going to play just been a very confusing, very difficult time to try and pick a day to shoot a podcast and be able to talk about something that you think is actually set in stone. But I think we've reached a point where, you know, we'll be okay. I think that the SEC for now is going to be in football. And this will be the last week where we don't have anything football related to talk about because we start practice tomorrow. Uh, I think all SECs start on Monday. So I think we'll We'll have some practice notes and that to bring to y'all. But yeah, uh, Wheeler, I'm going to hand it off to you. What are your What have your been your thoughts about the Big Ten and the Pac-12 canceling? Well, I think seeing the Big Ten and the Pac-12 canceling, and hearing their rationale for why they canceled. Obviously, they're canceling because of you know the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. But I think. The ACC, SEC, and Big 12 have had to give the public and give the media kind of more of their guidelines of what they're doing and what they're looking at. I think before this week, we knew like they were monitoring the situation and that they were going to make decisions based off of what the situation was, but we never really knew like. What were they monitoring? Like, are you monitoring nationwide how many cases there are, nationwide how many deaths, hospitalizations? Are you doing just your region? Like, what exactly are you looking at to determine whether this is safe to play or not? And I think after this week, we finally realized that they're looking at how safe is it for college students to be playing this sport and what is the liability that someone is going to have long-term injury to them because it seems like the Big Ten and the Pac-12 were planning on playing the game when it was just what coronavirus does to you in the moment. You know, the symptoms that we've all heard about, the runny nose, the body aches, that kind of stuff. It almost seems like they accepted the fact that, yes, like right now, an 18 to 22-year-old is not really that high risk for, you know, passing away or having serious complications most of the time. Obviously, there are times uh, there was that Auburn player. I'm blanking on his name right now. It was not Chandler Wooten who had the really serious symptoms associated with it. Um, Even in our own family, we've had two people 
get it and one person you know serious battle with it really tired experienced a lot of symptoms the other person felt totally fine you know so i think they accepted that you know players were going to get it and it seemed like they were ready to go ahead until this whole myocarditis study came out which we're going to get into that study but i do think the big tens commissioner it's his first year as the commissioner He's kind of following up another commissioner that was really controversial. And I think he's trying to like carve out his own space and like almost do like a power struggle with the SEC of like, we're the czar of college football, you know, whatever we say goes. So they, you know, went and surprised everybody earlier when they did their conference only because they wanted to be the progressive, you know, rulers of college football which is the most Big Ten thing ever, you know? Yeah. I mean, that just sounds like somebody from Illinois just wanting to be a jerk, you know? So that, yeah. that's kind of what the Big Ten's doing. And then the Pac-12, you've got them out there. And those people want to cancel everything. Yeah. I mean, they want to cancel breathing because, you know, people that breathe get the coronavirus, but people that don't breathe can't get it anymore. So let's all just stop breathing so we don't get the coronavirus. So I don't think anybody really thought that the Pac-12 was going to play. I certainly didn't. Um, I, did. I didn't know how they were going to cancel. But as soon as the Big Ten did, you know, they felt scot-free to go do their whack out, you know let's shut everything and the entire world down until the world ends. Um, then you kind of have the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12. And I think that the SEC is really leading the charge with these three conferences. I think they're going to take the most flack for what they're doing. They're kind of the edge of the spear. And so it's almost like Big 10 versus SEC on the two philosophies. And I think that Greg Sankey's really taking a the right approach to this where you can stop this train at any time, you know? So mm-hmm. like practices start tomorrow, super excited that practice is starting and we'll finally have like something real football to talk about, even though tomorrow's only in helmets and shorts, it's like actual football. There are going to be practice notes coming out. We're not just going to be talking about the ifs and the buts, you know, we're actually yeah. going to see how this works and students are going back to campus classes start tomorrow. And I think, over the next couple of weeks, I, I, this is why the SEC pushed the season back. Mm-hmm. Things are going to change rapidly, you know? Yeah. Uh, when you bring that many people into a city, yes, the numbers are going to go up because you think about Auburn. If you add 35,000 people to any city right now, then their numbers would have gone up, it, yeah. whether they were the most responsible people or whether they're college students who we all know are not going to be the most responsible about wearing their mask and social distancing. Yeah. So, yes, the numbers are going to go up. I saw some – I was on a news site earlier today just browsing, and the headline was like, certain college cities seeing rise in coronavirus cases as students return. And I was like, this is yeah. a headline. Like, no, duh. You added 35,000 people, and it actually showed up that more people got sick. Like, so that's coming. The SEC knows that's coming. So I don't think that Greg Sankey is sitting in his office thinking, you know, that cases are going to stay the exact same in all of these college cities. And I think that he's taking a measured approach of we're going to wait and see. We pushed it back till September 26th so that this, you know, spike can happen of school just starting and then kind of see where colleges go. Um, what do you think about that? 
Yeah, I mean, I do agree. I think I do think that's why they moved the uh, moved the season uh, to the twenty sixth, just to kind of see how it all works. And you know, I think I feel like a lot of people have probably seen the picture from I believe it was someone's apartment this past weekend, and there were about a hundred people around a hundred or maybe like 50, hundred people just there and they were all in the apartment. They were standing on the deck and that no one was wearing a mask and all that. So obviously, you know, these guys are college kids. They're sick and tired of wearing a mask. They're going to be doing whatever they want. And so the cases are going to go up, but I think it'll be interesting to see how the cases go up among the athletes. Cause I think that what, this is what I've, what I've thought Auburn should do that since so many of the classes are going to be online, because it's up to the professors at Auburn at least if they want to have their class online or if they want to have it in person. In my opinion, I think that the athletic department should have said, okay, athletes, y'all are online. Because mm-hmm. you, really, you can't really say like, all right, you can't tell all the students to do all these things to be as safe as possible because it's just not going to work. The students aren't going to follow the rules and all that, but I think the athletes will. But if the athletes are doing everything in their power, if they're, you know, going to the workouts, they're washing their hands or wearing a mask, they're getting everything wiped down after they use it, they still could get it if they go to class and you've got some, some random dude that was partying all weekend, got the coronavirus, goes to class on Monday morning and sits next to Bo Nix. Yeah. Bo Nix did nothing, but he might get the coronavirus. So, I personally think that all athletes should have all their classes online to minimize their um, encounters with other students, which that is difficult because, I mean, they're, they're still students at the end of the day, and it's kind of difficult to say, you know, giving them a full-time job. But, I mean, it's kind of the what you need to do to have football, in my opinion. Well, I, I really liked what Joe Burrow had said. You know, you think about Joe Burrow's junior season – I mean, maybe he would have gotten picked up as a free agent just because he was an SEC quarterback. Then he becomes the number one overall draft pick. Dude's working his tail off. And it's not fair for all of these guys that have gotten better every single year who would have had their breakout year as a senior, and they can't do it. So I I agree. I understand the point that people are saying. If, you know, there's student athletes, you're not paying them. You can't force them into the bubble. And I – I understand that, and I think that's why the NCAA gave them the waiver of, look, if you don't want to stay in the bubble and you don't want to do all of the stuff that's involved and you don't want to be super responsible and you want to go to parties and stuff, you can. Like, yeah. you, get to keep your, you get to keep your scholarship, you can redshirt, whatever. Like, you go do that. But the guys that are playing and the guys that are working really hard and want to play football and would rather play football than – go to sky bar on friday night yeah let them have the opportunity to go and play football allow them the opportunity to showcase their skills to go and make millions of dollars in the nfl because a lot of guys elevate their draft stock and so for them while they're not getting paid right now to stay in the bubble if they didn't get to play football they're going to pay for it when the nfl draft gets here so i think that i mean yes you don't need to force the players to do this. But I also think it's a misconception that the players don't want to play, most of them. Most of them would do whatever it takes to play. You know, I mean, they're waking up at 4.30 a.m. to go and work out. Most college students are not waking up at 4.30 a.m. to go and work out. These guys are not living and doing what most college students do because they're trying to make a way for them to go to the NFL. And you can't go to the NFL living like most college students. There's a reason it's a freshman 15. 
football players don't get a beer gut because they're yeah. working their tail off, you know? So, yeah. no, they're not the same as normal students. But if they want to go and do the parties and they don't want to put in the work, then they get this year off. They got lucky. They get a free year of college to go do whatever they want. And there are tons of people that would love that opportunity and would not complain that they have to go play football again next year. So I, I don't think that it always needs to be that these athletes are a victim because I think a lot of times they want to make these choices. And I yeah. think that's what last Sunday, what that big player movement was of the hashtag let us play or the hashtag we want to play mm-hmm. that uh, Trevor Lawrence was doing was just showing like we're not victims of like a crime. We're not like we're, at, we're doing what we love to do and we're getting the opportunity to go and play in the NFL. Um, so I think that the bubble should be like that. And I'll be interested to see if how coaches, while it's not officially a bubble, if it's kind of like a bowl game where coaches impose, you know, 10 o'clock curfew at bowl games. And like, if you don't follow your curfew, some coaches, you know, let it slack. Um, Gus kind of has a reputation for, for letting it not slide. being the strictest at bowl games. And it shows that a lot of our bowl games that he was not the strictest and that they had been partying all week. Yeah. Um, whereas Saban, I feel like every single year you hear about two, three, four Alabama players getting sent back to T-Town because they weren't following the rules at the bowl game. And yeah. so I think that's going to be this year with the Corona situation. If they're playing games, then, Hey, if you're going to sky bar and there's a video of you at sky, like, sorry, dude, you're out. Like you're not playing for us anymore because we need all the guys that are working really hard to keep this virus out of our building. We're going to reward them for that. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting just to see how they handle the whole thing. I could possibly see them doing a um, similar to what the NBA has done, where in the NBA, you know, if you leave the bubble and you come back, you have 14 days quarantine. I could see them doing that. And if it's like, if you think in any way, shape, or form that you may have been exposed to the coronavirus by, you know, if you were if you were in Sky Bar and there was a bunch of people there, a bunch of people dancing, whatever, and you think you may have gotten it, you got to quarantine whatever getting tested and then you can come back to practice play when you know that you don't have it but but if um, you have 10 games and you're out 14 days for a choice that you made then like you said Bo Nix goes and sits down next to somebody who has corona in class I mean that could add up to 28 days right there that's four weeks out of a 10 game season and you've already blown your opportunity yeah like if you're trying to get drafted higher and you miss Four games, Almost half your season, games. Yeah. I mean, how much help is that really? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely. I mean, it's definitely going to be. They definitely have their hands full with this whole situation. I know. I've been saying. I said to a lot of people uh, in direct messages and all that that I'm just glad that I'm not the one making the decision. But um, so we've got. So you've got the Big Ten and the Pac-12 that are staunch they're not playing you know you got Justin Fields who created a petition he's trying to get the Big Ten to change their mind I don't think they will but I think they might it'll be interesting to see what the Big Ten teams do because the Big Ten allows them to leave for one year and play then it's going to be a huge thing because I guarantee you that the SEC wants Ohio State there they want they want the money that Ohio State's going to bring you know so like the more teams that if all these Big Ten and Pac-12 teams, if all the players and the coaches are like, yo, we want to play, 
they're going to come to the Big 12, ACC, and SEC and be like, we want to play with y'all. And I, I, I can almost guarantee you that they're going to – a team like Ohio State, like, you, you're going to bend over backwards to get Ohio State into your conference for a year. So I think it'll be interesting just to see how all that pans out. I don't think that the Big Ten or the Pac-12 will play. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're just going to have to wait and see. But I'm pretty pretty fairly confident that the SEC will definitely be playing football this year. I, I feel very confident in that. I think the Big Ten – we mentioned earlier the myocarditis thing. For people that don't know, uh, myocarditis is inflammation of the heart muscle. Specifically, there are three layers to the heart, and it's the middle layer of the heart that gets inflamed. This is not a new diagnosis that's specific to the COVID-19. It's associated with all kinds of coronaviruses, uh, flus, really any kind of viral infection, but mostly coronaviruses are known for doing this. Um, the problem is, is it's difficult to diagnose that this is happening because some people are asymptomatic with this swelling of the heart. Others have serious symptoms. Some people have scarring of the heart. Some people are over it in, you know, four days. It's very difficult to diagnose. It's very difficult to see what's going on with the heart. Um, so five Big Ten players got diagnosed with this myocarditis. That's kind of when they decided to shut it down. Um, it is believed that myocarditis is more prevalent in people that have COVID-19. However, there's not literature that's been a firm, you know, believe like a for sure people with COVID-19 more likely to have this. It's more anecdotal evidence. Um, so you have a lot of disagreement between cardiologists and it's not just from, you know, cardiologists in the South that want to see football happening versus cardiologists in the Northeast that don't care about football. It's literally all across the board uh, debate about, if COVID-19 has more cases of myocarditis, what the implications are for athletes and all of this kind of stuff. And so the ACC's card, the cardiologist, there's two of them. One of them came out to, uh, not today. He came out on Thursday, I think. And basically it was like, look, this is like a fact of life. This happens all the time. And he was like, people are just starting to freak out about every single thing that like doctors have known about for years and just like it gets printed in the media and everybody's all of a sudden like, Oh my gosh, I have a cold. That means I'm going to have myocarditis and die. And he was like, everybody needs to chill out. Like you're not all doctors for a reason. And the reason that like people say not to Google things is because the internet kills you. I mean, whatever you have, you're either pregnant or dead. And so that's basically what he said. Another doctor. So I like to listen to sports radio. Uh, the Jocks Roundtable had a doctor on. He was a cardiologist, Dr. Michael Cunningham. You can go and listen to their podcast. It was from Friday. And he had a really good explanation of how difficult it is to test for this, how a lot of times a positive test for myocarditis might be something else, um, and how that really it's not that serious because the biggest problem with myocarditis in athletes is it can cause heart arrhythmias. The only difficulty with diagnosing that is extreme exercise can also cause heart arrhythmias uh, that are not deadly for people. And so the only way to test an athlete to tell whether it was myocarditis that caused this heart arrhythmia or the extreme exercise 
is to have them not exercise for three months. Well, that's the entire season. Yeah. So there's no way to test for it. And so basically what he was saying is he was like, this is much to do about nothing right now. It's anecdotal that five people have gotten this. He said, because honestly, it was probably if you tested it in a normal year without this world pandemic going on, if you tested everybody like they did, you probably would have found three people just in a normal year in the course of normal sickness. And so he was saying that it really isn't that big of a deal and that it's really just been overblown by all of these people that wanted to see football in. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, definitely a whole, whole should be a whole thing, but it's just, it's very difficult for me, you know, just to see like all the different studies, it's very confusing. Cause you know, like you said, you got some doctors saying something, some saying others. Uh, it's just, it's just crazy. But um, we got a little bit of a change of pace, which was nice when Malcolm Johnson committed uh, on Friday, it was just nice to finally see, um, finally see something that wasn't about the coronavirus, but it was regarding football. Um, for those who don't know, Malcolm Johnson was is a four-star receiver, uh, great speed, has a 4.6040 right now, 4.2 shuttle, vertical of 39 inches. Guy is a crazy athlete. Um, and he also reclassified to the 2020 class, so he will be enrolling this week and he'll be going to classes this week. So he will be eligible for this coming season. Wheeler, do you think there's any chance that Malcolm can uh, break into the, maybe not the starting lineup, but break in and get some playing time so noble i think we discussed this on another podcast when we were talking about basketball when auburn gets a commit i either go super high on them or i just say no nah, nah, they're no good so this guy i see his his size he's like 6'1 185 and i'm like nah, that's not you know super impressive and then I see his 40 time is a 4.6. And I was like, 4.6, that's not really great for someone that's 185. And then I turned on this guy's highlight film. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, I don't know if he had two torn hamstrings and a broken <laughs> foot when he ran his 40 time at, at the little Nike combine where he got his time. This man does not run a 4.6. This man is the flash. He is ridiculously fast. He literally made all of the other players look like they were running in bubble gum. I mean, he looked like me running routes against you. And that's sad because, I mean, <laughs> this guy was just amazing. Um, but I did find out I, I'm, when I say the two pulled hamstrings, literally, I'm wondering if like there was something wrong with him that day because he also runs track. And I think he ran like a. Six five six fifty five meter. It was, it was something around that, yeah. Okay, so for context, for people that know nothing about track, I know a little bit, very little. I'm elite fast compared to Noble, but that My doesn't goodness. matter. Auburn's all American. Auburn's record in the is it the fifty meter? It's the fifty meter. Sorry, not the fifty five. The fifty meter. The Auburn record is a six point one one. And this guy ran a 6.5. Okay, so he, this guy is 0.4 seconds off from the record holder of Auburn's track team that runs this. This guy is stupid fast. He's going to be awesome. Whether he actually gets to play or not, if it wasn't Gus, I would say 1 million percent. 
But Gus has this thing where he doesn't like good players to play if they're freshmen because he says he can't trust them. Maybe the pandemic got to Gus and he'll want to play the guy. I don't think he'll catch any – this is a hot take. I don't think he'll catch any passes for Auburn this year. I do think he will run the jet sweep, sweep several yeah. times because I think that he's almost as fast as Schwartz. But he, when you watch him play, he looks like a football player. Yeah, he has football like, speed. Even though he's a track guy too, Schwartz loved the guy to death. He can't juke, you know? Like, he just – he looks like he, like, runs in a straight line. Yeah, he does. Wherever, yeah. even or a diagonal line. Like, there's no cutting. There's no, like, agility to his run. This guy is a football player. Who was that guy for Alabama that tore Auburn up? Jalen Waddle. Ruggs? It was Waddle. Waddle, yeah. This guy looks like Waddle to me. Mm-hmm. A little bit taller, though, because Waddle's short, isn't he? Uh, yeah, I think Waddle's six foot. So, yeah, he's a little bit taller. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you there. You know, if you look at a guy like Anthony, Anthony, in my opinion, he is a track, he is a track star in a, football, in a football team. But if you look at Malcolm Johnson, he is a football star on a track team. So, like, he can run fast. He can run fast on the track. But he can also – I mean, he can break your ankles. He can cut real hard. And he's a really good football player, whereas Anthony – world-class speed. I think that if you're if you're lining people up in a straight line and you're like, all right, run 100 meters, we're going to see who wins. There aren't many people in America that will beat Anthony Schwartz. Like, no. there just aren't. But if you're going to say, all right, I need you to run a combo route, I mean, let's be honest, I don't think Anthony Schwartz has ever ran a combo route at Auburn. Like, I mean, the I think that if you look at guys like – Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, like these guys and Henry Ruggs, you know, they have world-class speed and they are extremely difficult to stop. They are, I mean, you key them, you're like, look, you see number 10 with Tyreek Hill, you see number 11, you see number 17, like you better make sure you don't get behind them because if you get behind them, you're done. But I feel like people don't really think that with Anthony Schwartz. I feel like with Anthony Schwartz, they're like, look, like you better not get behind them because you're not going to catch them but it's easier to stay in front of him because if he tries to change directions, the DB is going to see it and he's going to be like, okay, he's flipping his hips slow. I got this. But if he runs in a straight line, like if Bo has enough time to just throw a lob when it's one-on-one coverage, Anthony should win most of the time. Yeah. So I looked it up. Waddle was five or Waddle is five, eight. So this guy is significantly taller than Waddle. Um, I think that the, Everybody really loves to look at 40s. And, I mean, yeah, I guess the 40 is important. I really think that the three-cone drill would probably mm. be the thing that you need to look at the most. Um, and he ran a 4-2 in that. So, that's kind of when you – Will Hastings, his 40 time, nobody really talked about Will Hastings' 40 time. But he set the record. There was – a. Ryan Russell used to put his workout videos out before COVID, you know, where he would show some of the new things that they were doing. And in one of the videos, it like flashes up the board of what everybody's times are. And I think Will Hastings had the best time on the team in the three cone drill. So that's that agility. That's that ability to run the slant and get open. And that's what Waddle does. I think that for a receiver, the most important number is really what your three cone time is, not your 40, because I mean, one guy, I mean, 
Darius Slayton had a slower 40 than Anthony Schwartz, but who was the better deep threat? Sammy yeah. Coates, slower 40 than Anthony Schwartz. Who's the better deep threat? It's not all about what your 40-yard dash time is. Yeah, it's more like, about how can you shake and bake to get open because that's what football is. Yeah, and to add to that, like, you got Seth Williams. I mean, he is by far the best receiver on our team. Like, if someone is arguing that Seth Williams is not the best wide receiver on Auburn's football team, there's something wrong with him. Definitely. And he is not fast. Like, he, he's not. Like, he gets like, run dude. down. Yeah, I mean, he gets run down a lot. But the thing is, he gets open, and he catches yeah. the ball. So, that's the thing. Like, it, his slant, like, when he runs a slant, like, he's going to get open. And it's just, like, it's so amazing to see a guy that fast or that big who is not necessarily super fast, but he's quick. He can get open. He can catch the ball. And that is a huge thing in football. But the difference is in a guy like Seth and a guy like Malcolm is when Malcolm catches it and he's going to take, you know, with Seth, he can take two steps, DB gets there, hits him. With Malcolm Johnson, the idea is if he gets a slant, he catches it two steps, he's gone. Like, if you let him get in stride, it's all over. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm definitely really excited uh, about Malcolm Johnson. And for those who don't know, he picked Auburn over Alabama, which just makes me love him even more. I agree. But, uh, yeah, so we've got – so that was kind of – that's kind of all we got today. We're, we're going to try and be – you know, go back to our weekly weekly podcast. Uh, expect a, a big recruiting weekend. Uh, this week you got a big-time Auburn target and Amari Harvey. He's committing on Friday. I really think – I really like our chances with him. Um, when we come back next week, it'll either be on Thursday or Saturday. So it'll be right before he commits or right after. So – We'll have a little bit more of a recruiting update with where we stand with a lot of the top guys. Um, but, yeah, that's what we got. And we'll have so, actual practice notes, Noble. Yeah, exactly. So, I'm definitely looking forward to having that. Do you know when our first day in full pads? Is it Friday? I think it's usually Friday, and then Thursday will be the first day in shells. Okay. So, it's helmets and shorts Monday and Tuesday, shells on Thursday, full pads Friday. Yeah. Cool. I think so. So, yeah. Yeah. So, keep so, on the page for live updates. There you about, go. Excited about the podcast. Yes, sir. All right. See y'all later and War Eagle. War Eagle.